chat of Duncan's War, so here I go. Do you think Turner and his mims will find us? Is Duncan and James here as they made their hushed way through the glen? The McKeith and Kilbride families were joined by others as they determined, not even under the impression to break the Sabbath day, gathered to pr- for for. <coughs> Worship. Though his father was loath to leave, was loath to leave the sheep without booty, he gave in to Duncan's pleading to bring the dog. Jamie shrugged in reply. <coughs> Duncan's eyes studied the rim of a hillside that lay between them and the girlson of Dumfries. He imagined that it would be like to see the first of the horses' heads, ears laid back and manes flowing as they galloped over the hill, followed by the glint of sunlight on steel helmets and breastplates as the dragoons swept down on them, their muskets loaded, and swords flashing in defiance, tightening his grip on Fiona's and Jenny's hands. He looked around at the farmers and the wives and children that made up a humble, the humble procession. All carried Bibles, and some had psalters in their hand. Several men carried muskets. Duncan's father held on his shoulders the sleeping form of little Angus, he, and he caught sight of a sword here and there. But what? Could they do trained against trained and well-armed soldiers? I'm not afraid, whispered little Jenny. Duncan looked up at the wide eyes that betrayed her boast. In the last months, she had heard brutal stories of Turner and his cruel dragoons sweeping down the other field meetings in Galloway, Dumfries, and Ashai. She had heard what they did to children. He was about to tell her her she most certainly was afraid, and now a liar too, but he checked himself, giving her hand and reassuring squeeze instead. He glanced at Fiona on his right. He never knew quite what to expect with Fiona. She clutched her Bible firmly to her chest, and seemed to be gazing at something ahead ahead of them. Duncan took a quick look forward and then back at his sister. Smiling at him for a moment, she then resumed her, her gazing. There was longing in her eyes. Duncan decided, and there was peace. Now in the forest, Duncan's eyes darted from tree to tree. <coughs> tree to tree. At every turn, he wondered if a trap awaited them. Bracken, fern, and shamrock rock made lush ground <coughs> cover the base of Scots pine and rowan trees rising from the left of the narrow path. The, 
the broad, twisting trunks of beech trees clung to the steepness rising to the right path. <clears throat> what remained of the growing foliage rustling against the dim sky. As he looked at the groping roots of a beech tree clinging to the rock cliff at his right, Duncan wondered how trees survive in such harsh conditions. <clears throat> autumn, le- autumn leaves uh, autumn leaves crackled under the thread of a little hand of a little band. Duncan was grateful for the babbling burn occasionally visible through the bracken scots pine. It might help conceal noises that otherwise might alert a vigilant dragoon scout lying in wait on that ridge just above them. More people that gathered in one in any one of the field meetings, the greater the danger of detection or what had happened in several places the trial of their own people. The English were smart, smartest at tyranny. They knew that all too many people, when offered enough money, would sell even their neighbors. James Turner himself once fought on the side of the covenant, but now found it paid too well working to the king. He he was not alone in his treason. He he climbed high they climbed higher into the hills. Still no one spoke. Duncan's eyes went from the forest behind them to the edge of the hill, left and right. Then a quick glance of that at, at Broody. Though Broody almost never growled or barked, if soldiers approached, Duncan was certain Broody Duncan was certain Broody um, they were sh- <clears throat> the, if soldiers approached, Duncan was certain Broody's ears would first stand straight up and then he would halt in a stalking position all senses had ready. Broody padded along, alert, but giving no sign of alarm. <coughs> they, left co- the co- they left cultivated farmland and forest behind, and now crags rose from the high moorlands that stretched above to and seemed to join the sky. Duncan listened to Fiona's labored breathing as they grew steeper. He squeezed her hand encouragingly as they left the forest and tramped up the thin grass of the hillside. Terraced by the sheep, he gave her an extra pull now and then to help her over the steeper parts. And then a narrow valley like a gathering wound in the the moor appeared on their right its narrow entrance partly concealed by a thorny gross bush. <clears throat> this narrow corridor led into a widening hollow, a natural sanctuary scooped out of hills. Duncan's father often said, as, it, 
as if by the tender hand of the loving Heavenly Father as refuge uh, for his children. Here, those who had no man-made kirk would worship the Lord in peace and safety, so it had been. Boulders lined the tiny valley where elderly worshippers might sit, then weariness overcame them in, ser- in the service. Perhaps the most striking feature of the valley, one that led many confidently de- declare that the Lord made his hollow spit, she aptly this, uh, this, um, God made this hollow spit specifically for the faithful to use as their kirk was a curious projection of the rock at the end of the hollow opposite of the narrow entrance. A broad wall of stone rose from behind the pulpit and acted as a sounding board, projecting the preacher's voice so that from anywhere in the hollow work, uh, in the hollow, his words rang loudly and clearly. It had taken little assistance with hammer and chisel to make full use of this rock as a pulpit, where Mr. Crookshanks, Alexander Peden, Mr. Welsh, or other of the fugitive ministers might preach the word of God to the faithful. Huddled in the gathering place, several worshippers had already arrived. Among them were refugees of noble birth, Johnette Nelson, Lord of the Crowso, his friend, brother-in-law, John, Me- John McLean. The English had seized McLean of Bar- Barscop fortified house nearby the Boclamean, depriving Barscop of all his rights and leaving him a destitute wanderer wanderer for all his refusal to betray the Redeemer and the Covenant. Worthy of Mr. Crookshanks, Worthy Mr. Crookshanks ascended into the pulpit and gazed at the congregation. Two men with muskets positioned themselves like staniels below him or on either side of the pulpit. Themselves like staniels below him on either side of the pulpit. Duncan knew that Duncan knew that Mr. Crookshanks as minister had more to lose for being here than did the rest. If the troopers caught him leading a covenantical preaching and preaching without the sanctation of the bishop, a san- sanctation never to be given one so firm and faithful as he, then he would be arrested, tortured, and executed. This was not the first offense. Our trust is in strong arm of the Jehovah, he began calling flock to worship. An arm, I say, that is far better than weapons of war or strength in the, in the hills. Gripping his Bible in the left hand, he spread his other arm wide as he, uh, uh, he spread 
his arm wide as he spoke. The black folds of his Geneva gown fluttering in the light breeze. Under the frowning gray of the Sabbath sky, we gather with grateful hearts to bow before our sovereign, our Lord, Master, King Jesus, whose smile alone we seek, and in whose service we long to live and are prepared to die. His, his Gallic cadence, his Gallic cadence rising and falling, lends passion to his words. Today is indeed one of the days of the Son of Man. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Gentkin scanned the rim of the valley as he fidgeted from one foot to the other. If he could only see over that rise. Looking around the congregation, he caught sight of Jamie. Suddenly he remembered the service where he and Jamie had witnessed before George Henry catching himself on fire with the smoking censer. The unwanted convulsing of a giggle began rising in his throat as he pictured the ridiculous scene. He clamped his hand over his mouth. With effort, he brought his attention back to, back to Mr. Crookshanks. We desire not the continence of earthly kings, said the minister, or the spiritual divine majesty of the Lord host of hosts is shining on his word that we are gathered to do in his holy name. The great master of assemblies is in our midst, and he has prepared for us a table in the wilderness. Praise and glory to be to his worthy name. There was could be no greater difference between George Henry's service, Duncan decided, and this one. He stood for uh, he soon forgot all else, even the unseen enemies outside the glen. He felt he felt a thrill at Mr. Crookshank's words, and a longing to see the King of Kings filled his young soul. Join your voices with the saints throughout the ages, continued the minister. The singing of Psalm 72, the little glen filled with that solemn praise, mingled with holy joy, known only by those who humbly worship in spirit and in truth. Then come particularly like to the verse that went, They in the wilderness that dwell bow down before the most, and they that his enemy shall lick the very dust. As the, as the psalm neared its dull conclusion, Duncan felt himself carried along with the wonder and glory of God, and somehow he felt that they were not alone. Somehow, time to place, the English oppressors and betrayers of the covenant all seemed less clear, less important, less troubling. Now, blessed be the Lord our God, the God of Israel, for he alone doth wondrous works and glories that excel. And blessed be his glorious name to all eternity. And whole earth let his glory fill in so 
Duncan tried to sing as her father sang, loud and full of passion, impressed in swelling phrases, and eyes lifted heavenward. More than any time throughout the week, it was here that Duncan longed for the Lord to come down so he might see him, to speak so that Duncan might hear his voice. Then Duncan told his father this one Sabbath on the way home from the field meeting. His father had said, Turn that longing to faith, my lad. We're always wanting things our way, the way of sight. But God has called us to the pilgrimage of faith, and that means not seeing it with these eyes. But now to turn with your longing faith, you might ask. Hear his voice in his word and preaching of his word. In it, in it he does speak to you, glad. Hear him, heed him, and do what he says. Duncan's thoughts were interrupted as the minister led the little congregation in prayer, a prayer filled with the most earnest supplication. But somehow, reverent familiarity rang in every phrase, as if they were talking with someone he really knew and whom he dearly loved. For a moment, Duncan thought of a relationship with his earthly father. He loved and respected him more than any man on earth. Though at times he did not understand him, sometimes he was even a little afraid of him. Next test today, dear people, counting the minister, is from the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 26, verse 5. He who humbles those who dwell on high, he lays the lofty city low, he levels the ground and casts it down to dust. The wrestle rippled a rustle riffled through the worshippers. As many of ye have heard, a great fire has swept through London town. Dame McBride, from where she sat near the pulpit rock, looked triumphantly around the faces of the congregation. <coughs> Duncan's eyes. Uh, she caught Duncan's eyes and lifted her cane. Mr. Crookshanks seemed not to notice and continued. Duncan, the dwelling city of our earthly king, surely is a lofty city, filled with grand places, theaters, and churches. Churches filled with pomp and artifice, method and pageantry. Churches very unlike the one in which we are here to gather in this wee glen. A lofty city indeed and one filled with heavenly defiance and earthly wickedness. One where the words of, of kings and great men are honored, but where the words of God are by most held disdain. Duncan listened eagerly. It sounded as though Mr. Crookshanks was going to rail against London, maybe even against the king. The field preaching was already treasonous, but how much more so if he rallied against the king? An idea occurred to Duncan that flooded his young heart with excitement. 
Maybe Mr. Crookshanks was going to call for a full-scale rebellion against the king. Maybe at last it was time to fight. But God humbles all the lofty, said Mr. Crookshanks, and brings low to all who lift themselves up against the high king of heaven. Sometimes he humbles sinners in tremail judgment of for their upprenant wickedness, but still at another times God delights in mercy, humbles us in his mercy. He levels the gra- to the ground and covers us in, in the dust of his gracious means to lifting up and clothing us with pure righteousness of Lord Jesus. He paused and looked almost severely at the congregation. They huddled in their wool wraps against the growing cold of the autumn air. All eyes reverted especially on the minister. But knowing yourselves to be sinners, unworthy, the free grace of our great Savior, how is that some of ye are gloating over this great conflagration of London, filled to the brim with wickedness, to be sure, and deserving the fires of God, to be sure, vice and evil in her play, playhouses as well, as in her full heart and mind. If Duncan is in need, if London is in need of the humbling, perhaps we are too. If it wasn't just like Mr. Crookshanks, thought Duncan scowling. No call of to rebellion against the king in this. Quiet, Rudy, he hissed severely, thumping the dog on the head with his knuckles. Rudy lay crouched and rigid, a deep grumbling in his throat. His, he, his eyes fixed on the southeast barren rim of the, the little valley. Mr. Crookshanks is right, Ken Duncan, whispered Fiona, slipping her pale hand into his. Duncan clenched his teeth and thumped Rudy again. We can't fight hate, Duncan. We can't fight hate, Fiona whispered in his ear with more of it. We called to love our enemies, Duncan. Duncan thumped Rudy again. <clears throat> After all, we we were Jesus' enemies, she continued, her voice soft and matter-of-fact, and he loved us while we were yet his enemies. She just doesn't get it, thought Duncan as he turned in an angry retort ready for his little sister. But as he returned, what caught his eye on the ridge of them nearly froze the his blood in his veins. So that was chapter eight. Uh, uh, chapter ten. Bye guys, see you later. See you later, see you later, see ya, see ya. Later, bye guys.